Well, we are in this series called Summer of Prayer, and we're going to continue on into that. And as we have been digging into this idea of prayer, we're really using as our guide the Lord's Prayer, that when Jesus says to the disciples, I want you to pray like this, he then recites for them this prayer, and we're really kind of pulling uh, that apart and saying, how does this apply into our life today? How are we going to be a people of prayer? And next week, uh, we're going to finish it, and we're going to look at how uh, prayer creates a pathway to our future, to a new future. Uh, and and God is inviting us as a church into something new. There's, it's no uh, surprise that there's been transition. I. Uh, talked with somebody in between services, and and she's been uh, traveling in Europe, and and she was like, uh, she's like, is is Pastor Jeremy gone? And I was like, yeah, he's been gone. You and you've been gone uh, for for a little while. And she was like, yeah, I've been traveling in Europe for a month. And so we just recently transitioned uh, Jeremy and Amy Pummel to Portland. They're, they took a position there. If you were unaware of that. Uh, and so we're, we're going through kind of this, this interesting season where God is, um, it, it, not just because Jeremy and Amy have moved to Portland, but really we believe that the Lord has put something on mine and Kelly's heart for us in the future for our church. Uh, and part of that new future involves uh, prayer, uh, being very intentional with making sure that as a church we become a praying church. Uh, Again, that seems like such a given, but, but there's just so much in, uh, in that, that that I'll unpack next week. But the second thing, and, and just to give you kind of a glimpse into this, is uh, as we move forward as a church, we are going to have the opportunity to be a church that fosters other churches. We are uh, about foster care ministry at LifeHouse, and we have a, an amazing foster care ministry that's going to continue on under the leadership of Kim Lanza and uh, and so that's still moving forward, and, and her team, and, the, and so that's moving forward. But, uh, but the Lord really put it on our hearts to, um, as a church, foster other churches who are in transition. Uh, Twelve years ago, I showed up at this church, and uh, the church was about hundred and about 125 people at the time, and uh, and I was 30 years old, and honestly, it was my first senior pastor position. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Uh, my first council meeting, my first business meeting that I ever attended as a minister was the one I was supposed to be leading. And like that was my discipleship process. It was like, oh, here you go, and by the way, you're leading it. Um, and I recognized that there was just parts of that transition that I, there, there was a mentorship or a discipleship process that I wish that I had. And as a church, we get to be that. So as I mentioned earlier, I, uh, Paul and I were in Odessa, Texas the last couple of uh, days, and <clears throat> how, do I, how do I describe Odessa? It's, uh, it, is, it is the door, doorway to the surface of the sun. <laughs> it is flat, it is hot, and it's a little windy. But it's not a cool breeze. It's like, it's like when you turn your, your heater on in your car, and it's 100 degrees in your car. That's what it felt like. But we have uh, recently, as a district, we've transitioned. We've brought in a young couple uh, from uh, Palm Springs, California. 
into Odessa, Texas. So the... It wasn't a joke. It's, I know it sounds like the beginning of a joke, but clearly you guys have been to Odessa and Palm Springs. Um, no, the good news is it's hotter in Palm Springs than it is in Odessa, Texas. So, um, so we have this couple. It's their first time pastoring, uh, senior pastoring. He's been uh, under his uh, father's leadership for, for now over 20 years. And, um, and so they're stepping into this new church, and, and this church is a hurting church. It's on a good day about 50, 55 people. And, uh, and so we as a church, as we move forward, as we look to the future of what God has for us, uh, he has provided for us the resources, uh, and he's, he's providing the, the kind of people and the 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 pool of people to be able to uh, go into a situation like that and really begin to give them the support that they need in order to continue on. Uh, and so uh, we're really excited about it. And you're going to get to see this couple, Joe and Sarah Donaldson. You could be praying for them uh, and their family. They're, uh, they're in the thick of it right now. And I know what it's like to come into a new place. Uh, and I know what it's like to have... Um, uh, in our first eight to nine months, there was about 80% of the church that, uh, that left. And so it was, it was very challenging. Luckily, they didn't all leave on the same Sunday. Um, uh, but it was hard, and it was hard on the people that stayed. And, and it, I just under, I get it, and I understand this. And so they're right in the thick of it. You could be praying for them. Uh, you're going to get to hear from them this fall. We're going to bring their family here so that you guys can get uh, a face to the name, and there's relationship there because this isn't just something that Ryan and Paul are doing or something that Pastor Ryan's doing. This is something that we get to be about as a church, and we get to bring kingdom influence that has no benefit to us Right? There's no, this isn't like it's going to be Lifehouse Odessa. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't want to have to travel to Odessa after we foster them. Like once they're healthy and good, go for it, you guys. You got this. Uh, no, I, I, what I want is I want us as a church to be able to say in, in the kingdom of God, we do things and we go out for the kingdom's sake, even if it is no benefit to us. Right? That's, that's how we should function and work. So that's, uh, I'm going to be talking more about that. Uh, I talked more about it than I was, but I'm going to talk more about it um, next week. This week, uh, we are going to uh, take a look at uh, what it means to pray until you pray. And uh, I would like to say that I coined that phrase, uh, but that phrase has been around for a very long time. Lots of teachers have used that phrase, pray until you pray. It really comes from, uh, it's, a, it's a quote uh, by the Puritans. They're the ones that first said it. Uh, and it's really this concept and this idea that says when we pray, oftentimes we get in a routine or we, uh, we get into a uh, wrote ritual of how we pray, and, and there's something about pressing through some of that and experiencing the will of God. Uh, pray until you pray means that when all of your life is feeling chaotic or it feels out of alignment, if there's something going on in your life that just doesn't make sense, then it's, it's praying in a way that says, God, I need you to bring my life back into alignment with your will. So, 
D.A. Carson says it like this. He says, in the Western world, that's us, many of us, just in case you guys don't have any geography skills, we are the Western world. He says, many of us in our praying are like nasty little boys who ring front doorbells and run away before anyone answers. Anybody ever do that when you're a kid? Yeah, yeah, I wasn't really asking you to confess that, Glenn, but he's like, yeah, a lot. What, what, what is the benefit of this? Like I, like, I did it as a kid, too. Like, I, you know, there's, it, it's called ding-dong ditching is what it's called in case you're, you know, a good kid. And you, you have no idea, unless you were the one that everybody else did it to. It's called ding-dong ditching. You run up to the doorbell, you ring the doorbell, and you run away, and you hide in the bushes, and you watch as somebody opens the door, and no one's there. And it's like, why is this fun? <laughs> this doesn't make any sense to me, other than they went, closed the door and went back to their business, right? And then, well, let's do it again. It's weird. Now, Teeping houses and egging, like there's damage that's done. Like they have to clean it up, and I get that. But ding dong ditching, I don't understand. But but I did it as a kid. And by the way, kids, students, teeping, ding dong, uh, egging, not good. Don't don't do that. Um, I got a story about egging on Halloween that I won't share because I've shared it before. But it end, ended with me in the back of a police car. And. Uh, and I'm smiling, not because it's okay. It's not okay. <laughs> when it comes to our prayer life, I think we treat it at times as though we ding-dong ditch God. Like we come into our prayer life and we ring the doorbell and we run away before he answers. And, and so what happens is, is, we go through our life and we have these circumstances in these situations that we're dealing with and we come because it's what our routine is and we say to God, God, take care of this and then we walk away before he ever gives us an answer. It completely sums up our, our conversations with God at times. So, so the question is for us this morning is are we praying in a way that God desires us to pray, that, that we're actually in relationship with him, where, where he's speaking to us and, and we're able to come and be vulnerable to him. Carson goes on to say, to enter the spirit of prayer, we must stick to it for a while. He says, if we, if we pray until we pray, eventually we come to delight in God's presence. We, we come to rest in his love, to cherish his will. And he says, even in dark or agonized praying, we somehow know we are doing business with God. And in short, we discover a little of what Jude means when he, uh, in Jude, Jude chapter 20, when he exhorts his readers to pray in the Holy Spirit, which presumably means it is treacherously possible for us to pray not in the Spirit. where my prayer time is about, is about just giving him a list and then walking away. And what would it look like if our prayer life instead was spending time and effort 
to open up to God, to express to him what's going on in our hearts, in our minds, in our emotions, where we can actually make a connection. A.W. Tozer reminds us that the habit of breaking off our prayers before we have truly prayed is as common as it is unfortunate. Often the last 10 minutes may mean more to us than the first half hour because we're all praying, you know, for 30 minutes at a time. Because we must spend a long time getting into the proper mood to pray effectively, he says. We may need to struggle with our thoughts to draw them in from where they have been scattered through the multitude of distractions that result from the task of living in a disordered world. How many of you would, would be honest and say, like me, that when you go to pray, because of the noise of this world and the, the chaos of this world and the things, the busyness of our lives, when you go to pray and now all of a sudden you're in silence, all you can think about is everything else. And what Tozer is getting at is it's, it's common for us to, when we find ourselves in a place of silence, to finally get in connection with God, all we are is distracted. And it's because we live with such noise. We live in a world that is noisy. How many of you have a phone? I know one person in our church that does not have a phone teenager that doesn't have a phone, and I commend his parents for it. Uh, we have these devices that are a distraction. I'm not saying they're evil or bad, but, but I, have a, I have an Apple watch. I just read you the statistics off of it because somebody can text me on my watch. When I pray, I have to take my watch off because it beeps at me. When I speak to you guys, people text me and they're like, your fly's down. You don't know what you're talking about. You're... And so I have to turn it on theater mode because you guys text me during the messages. Oh, this will be funny. We live in this distracted, disordered world and, and there has to be a moment in which we get in connection with God that pushes aside the distraction. Now, it'd be easy for us to say, well, you, it's just that we're not praying long enough or there's some time limit or, you know, if I, just, if I could just pray for 30 minutes as Tozer talks about or if I could just do this or that. And, and it would be easy for us to get caught up that praying till you pray is really about the persistence and persistence is good. It's not bad. But what I want to talk about today is a practical way that we can cultivate and engage God in our prayer. So let me ask you this question. What has God given us that we can utilize to make our time in prayer more effective, more fruitful, and more engaging? What has he given us? You, can, you, can, this, you have permission to speak. What? What? His, well, you were in first service. That's totally cheating. <laughs> it's absolutely his word. It's his word. The word of God is this tool that we have, and yet so often what happens is, is, is we have no or little knowledge of what this says. 
I, th- I think, honestly, as a, a culture, we are becoming somewhat scripturally illiterate. We are expecting everyone else to say what God's word says. We're expecting books to tell us how to live. And, and unfortunately, because of that, we are getting to a place to where we don't have knowledge of the scriptures, and so therefore we don't have any way in which to pray the scriptures. See, expectant prayers that are soaked and saturated with the word of God, they, they begin to produce that alignment that I was talking about where the, the alignment where when everything else is chaotic and everything else doesn't make sense, when we begin to saturate our prayers with the scriptures, that alignment begins to happen. And so I want us to take a look at three simple things that I think all of us can expect when our hearts and our minds are filled with the word of God. The first is that we will be free to pray. John 15, 7 through 8 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If you remain in me, and my, and my word remains in you, then ask whatever you wish. If you're like me, we, I, I like to pass over that second part. I'll, I remain in him. I'm a Christ follower. I love Jesus. But I'm not sure I'm as disciplined as, as I should be in his word, where his word is in me. And so we'll go to him in prayer and and we'll wonder why maybe things aren't being answered or things aren't working out the way that we want them. And oftentimes, it's like if we would just be in this, that when we pray, when we pray this, all of a sudden we start to see breakthrough and change. So it's important to have his word in us. I want us to, uh, I want to read to you out of this. I had a place marker and I took it out in first service, but let's see if I can just find a spot here. This is the book that Julie's talking about uh, as parents praying over, this is the teen version. And, uh, and I picked this one because I have teens and I use my teens as an example today. I'll put their name in here. As, let me use a different example. That was too much about me. Use, use Jacob to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of you. Let him be the aroma of Christ and the life to those around him. 2 Corinthians 2, 15 through 16. Teach Jacob how to show love even when his enemy, uh, even to his enemies and to pray for, for students or kids who may reject him or persecute him. Remind him that if he's kind only to his friends, then he's no different from anyone else. Matthew 5, 44 through 47. Don't let Claire pay back evil for evil, but cause her to focus on forgiveness, which breaks down walls between friends and restores relationships. Genesis chapter 50. Let Marley walk in the light of your presence and enjoy fellowship with others who love you. When Jacob wrestles with loneliness or rejection, remind him of your promise. Though the mountains may be shaken and the hills be removed, your unfailing love for him will never be shaken, nor will you remove your covenant of peace from his life. 
Isaiah 54.10. See, oftentimes, we could never pray those kinds of things over our kids because we have no knowledge of what his word says. And, And although there's nothing wrong with having a book that's written specifically and laid out for us to make this very attainable and very, um, yeah, very attainable and reachable. Let us not replace this with this. Let us not replace God's word with, with books. It, it, they're not bad. This isn't a bad thing. This is a good thing. We will use this to pray over our children, but if we're not careful, we will expect everyone or someone else or something else to tell us what God's Word says instead of going to God's Word for ourselves. And that's the point of this message. Because the more God's Word inhabits our hearts, the more power-filled our prayers are. There's something powerful when I'm reading those scriptures, right? There's something that you can even sense because oftentimes we don't, most of the time, we don't do this. God, be with my kids as they go to school. Protect them. Protect them from what? Well, protect them from their enemies. That's, that's, what, that's what this says. Give them the strength to treat their enemies with love and grace. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says, his divine power has given us everything that we need. Not given us most things, not given us some things, but actually given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. They're in here. His his great and precious promises are in here so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I don't know about you, but I want more of God's divine nature working in and through my life. I I I think that we forget at times that we are participants in God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That we get to participate in this process. God hasn't saved us. He hasn't redeemed us and restored us from old into new just to put us on a shelf and look pretty. But that we're actually supposed to be a part. We're supposed to make a difference. We're supposed to have influence. We're supposed to participate in the kingdom of God. One of the only illustrations I can come up with this is uh, my wife, periodically, she'll get this uh, bug to restore a piece of furniture, primarily when we can't afford a good piece of furniture. And so she'll go to a garage sale. She went to a garage sale. She found this dresser that was looked like it was my parents' dresser from the 70s. It was ugly. And, and she said, that's it. That's the one I want. She had a vision for it. She had a picture. And so she, we load it up. We take it home. This is when chalk paint, is chalk paint still a thing these days? Still a thing for you Pinterest people. But she, uh, she gets some chalk paints, and, and we restored it. And by we, I mean, that's a, that's a she-we. She, that's a, she restored it. 
I went and bought the paint. And, uh, and so she changed out the hardware and everything. And, and, it, and it looked really cool when it was done. You know, like sometimes you see those Pinterest stories where it's like, this is what it's supposed to look like. This is what it actually looked like. And it's like awful. Hers actually looked really good. But how dumb would it be if after all of that work of restoration and, and, and making something that was old into new, we put it in our room and we just looked at it. We didn't put any clothes in the dresser. We don't want to use it. We just want to look at it. It wouldn't make any sense. And I wonder how often we go through our life where God has, has saved us. We are, we are followers of Jesus Christ but we fail to engage into the participation of God's work. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, so that you may be healed. It says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it's effective. And that scripture right there is where some of you will say that. That's the problem. You said the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, and I'm not a righteous person. I had a conversation with somebody this last week who, who sat with Kelly and I and believes that they are a wicked person and that God would never use them, God would never love them, he would never care about them because of how bad their past was. This isn't talking about your behavior. It's not the prayer of a, a good behaving Christian is powerful and effective. No, what, it, what it's saying is it's, it's talking about Jesus in the restoration of his people that where we, we take off the old man and we put on the new man and now we are a new creation in Christ Jesus, that's not something you and I can do. That's not something that we are able to do. That's only something that he can do in us. And so when he does that in us, it's saying you are now in right relationship with God. And when we are in right relationship with God, our prayers are powerful and they are effective. It's saying that when we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us, then our prayer is powerful but we question it, right? I mean, we, it, honestly, we, we put our requests on the card at times because we don't believe that we are qualified to pray. And I would just tell you this morning, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you, your prayers are powerful and effective, we hear stories of God doing the miraculous, and, and all, most of the time we hear these stories that where they're taking place everywhere else but here, right? We, we hear the stories of, of overseas. We hear the stories of Alan Barr praying over a child in, or over a, a, a mom in Colombia who couldn't get, a woman who couldn't get pregnant, and she gets pregnant, and now we have this miracle baby that's in Colombia that we all celebrate, and we're like, yeah, that happens there. But, but I, don't, I don't see it here. I don't see it in my prayer life. I don't see it in my context. And, and because of that, what happens is our faith begins to wane, and, and we're like, well, that's good for everybody else, but I, I, I'm, not, 
my prayers aren't powerful. And I would just say, God knows that. God knows that God knows that you're struggling in that. When we have the word of God in us, our prayers are not only powerful, but they're faith-filled. We're reminded of the promises of God. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through what? Through this. I'm not a farmer. I know that comes as a shock to some of you, but I don't, I don't know anything about gardening. My dad, he just bought a new house. He, uh, he's got this little section of his backyard. It's all sectioned out. He's got, he's got netting over it and stuff, and he's, he's just planting stuff. He's retired. He's a little bit bored, but he's like planting things. Like He's got more cucumbers than we know what to do with. They keep dumping cherry tomatoes on us, which we like, but... You know, it's like, grow something else. Uh, but but I, I discovered uh, in just a little bit of research that if you plant a seed for a radish, which this is hypothetical because obviously nobody does that, but if you plant a seed for a radish, uh, you will actually have a radish for your salad in 20 days. It's pretty quick. Uh, now, radishes don't serve you know, a whole lot of purpose. They're just crunchy and they're tasteless and I think they're dumb. But, <laughs> but if you take a seed and you plant a, a seed from a pear and you plant that seven years before you're eating a pear. The, the point is, is that there is going to be things that as we as we pray in faith that God's going to move and work as we're praying his word and his promises that there will be a there will be fruit there will be a harvest that is going to be immediate but then there's also going to be a harvest or fruit that you may never experience even in your lifetime well one of the the, the biggest challenges in this is our our children right we some of you uh, one of the books is praying for your adult children. And, and maybe you have adult children or you have children who, who are struggling in their faith and their walk with God. Maybe they don't have a relationship with God. They, they don't believe in God. And so we're praying for them and we're, uh, we're constantly pushing. And you know what? You may never see the fruit of that. But it does not mean that there won't be fruit that comes does not mean that we stop praying. We don't know the harvest. We don't know when the fruit will produce, but we, we do know this, that we are to be a faith-filled praying people and believing not our own will, but believing God's will for our lives. In Hebrews chapter 11, one through six, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And it goes on to give this 
example, a couple different examples of Cain and Abel and of Enoch. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended, and this is really the part that I want us to see this morning. He was commended as having pleased God. I was like, okay, great. How do I please God then? Well, it says, well, with, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. How many of us want to experience more in this life. I, 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 want, I don't want the minimum. Like, I, I, I follow Jesus. I, I'm a Christ follower, which is good news for all of you that I am a Christian. <laughs> but I, I don't want just the minimum. I want more of what God has. I want to see more of his miraculous work. Not, not that it's bad overseas. It's good. We want to see more of it overseas, but I want to see it here. I want to see it in our city. I want to see it in our church. I want to see God move and work because his people are living a powerful, faith-filled prayer life. John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. We are appointed to bear fruit. We are appointed to go to live a life of prayer that is free to ask God to move in work, that is powerful, we believe that God still does the miraculous today. There are, a lot, there are a lot of people who are Christ followers who don't believe that God does the supernatural in this day, that a lot of the healings and things stopped. We don't believe that. We believe that God continues to heal today. And honestly, most people believe that until they go to the mission field. And then they have to change their theology because they see it. I believe it, and I want to see God move and work in our church, and I want to hear testimonies of healing. We hear them every now and then, but I want it to be a common thing, that God moves and works because we are a praying people. And it's not just, it's not just the people who are up front. It's not just the pastoral leadership. It's not just the elders. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, your prayers are powerful and effective. 